Well, hello, friends. My name's Brad. I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge, and welcome to the third Sunday of Advent. We've been walking this season here at Jericho Ridge through an exploration of joyful hope and that we have as people of faith. And we've been asking, how can we experience things like hope and peace and love and joy in the midst of a global pandemic and frankly, a bit of a bummer Christmas? And we're sure gonna have some memories from Christmas 2020, aren't we people? One of the reasons that we remember things is that they have strong impact on us emotionally or financially or relationally or spiritually. And one of the ways that that often is communicated to us is through words that are spoken into or over our lives. Words have incredible power. Jewish author Yehuda Berg once said that, quote, words are the singularly most powerful force available to humanity. We can choose to use this force constructively with words of encouragement or destructively with words of despair. Words have energy and power with the ability to help, to heal, to hinder, to hurt, to harm, to humiliate, and to humble, end quote. See, we all inherently know this to be true, don't we, from lived experience. We can all likely remember words of encouragement or affirmation spoken over our lives by someone that we admired. You might also remember still the sting of words that hurt you. Maybe someone who spoke something about you that was not true and yet others believed it and so it reinforced it and maybe even you came to believe over time that it was true. You might remember something that a teacher said on a report card about your character or work ethic. For example, my elementary teachers often said, Brad talks too much in class. Well, now Brad talks for a living, so take that, Mrs. Burnham, who was a lovely teacher, by the way. Some of the most powerful words in my life have been prayerfully spoken prophetic words of encouragement and hope. Words that someone prayed and sought God for and then spoke them over me that gave me a picture of what was on God's heart for me to pursue or words of blessing and affirmation that affirmed my belovedness as a son of God when I was facing very dark and lonely times. See, words have incredible power especially when they are the words that God desires to speak into our lives for the purposes of encouragement and edification. And that's one of the reasons why we value the weekly teaching of God's word here at Jericho Ridge. The power of words spoken into the life of another person is also embedded into the Christmas story. It's the little bit at the end that gets overshadowed by the main event at the beginning of Luke 2, all the shepherds and the angels and all that. But we're going to pick up the story right after Mary treasured all of these things in her heart in Luke chapter 2, verse 19. Eight days after, to be precise. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your devices to Luke chapter 2, and we'll look at verse 21. And we see here that Jesus' mother, Mary, and earthly father, Joseph, were both devout, God-fearing Jewish people in that they followed all of the laws or religious rituals that were set out for them in the Old Testament. So eight days after he was born, their firstborn son was circumcised and given the name Yeshua, or Jesus which was the name that the angel had instructed Mary and Joseph to give him before he was born. 
uh, takes all the guesswork out of choosing a name when an angel shows up and just gives it to you and says, this is the name for your child, doesn't it? And we see in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, that then 40 days after Jesus' birth, Mary and Joseph make the trip to Jerusalem in order to visit the temple. And the temple is the center of ancient religious life in the first century Palestine. They are there to perform the purification offering as outlined in the law of Moses. And there's a whole chapter of the Old Testament that's written about this in Leviticus chapter 12. And they take Jesus along to dedicate him to God. This is really a part of the origin of many church traditions of family dedications. And so in these verses in Luke chapter two, we get insight that Jesus actually doesn't come from a rich, well-connected elite status family. His parents offer the sacrifice of two turtle doves or two young pigeons. And this is the offering of a person of modest means. If Jesus' family was wealthy, they would have brought a sacrificial lamb to the temple. But Jesus comes from humble family, humble economic and humble social origins. And so we see right in his birth narrative in Luke 2, Jesus is identified with the very people that he came to seek and save. Isaiah chapter 61 verse 1 prophesied that the coming king, the Messiah, would be filled with the spirit of the sovereign Lord, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that the captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. And so what happens next would be a surprise to any new parents. Mary and Joseph and sweet baby Jesus are there hanging out in the temple, doing all the temple things, when all of a sudden an older man comes up to them, takes the baby out of mama's arms and begins to sing. And he begins to sing this song of praise to God. And, and if you think about it, it would be a little bit shocking. And you'd think to yourself as a parent, who is this guy? Why doesn't someone call temple security and get a handle on this? But let's look at the story, which is told briefly for us in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, the text says, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and he had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led him into the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. I really love this description of Simeon. He's righteous, he's devout. The Holy Spirit is resting on his life. And remember, this is pre-Pentecost. So this is before the widespread outpouring of God's Spirit into the world. But God's Spirit speaks words to Simeon. We don't know exactly how Simeon came to understand that as God's word to him, but Simeon hears and takes it as a promise from the Almighty that he will not die until he has seen the promised one, the Messiah. And we're not also given uh, how to know how old he was when God spoke those words into Simeon's heart and head, but we do know that his posture was that of eagerly waiting. He was watching. He had this sense of joyful 
anticipatory hope. But friends, here's the thing about joyful hope. It's a bit hard to manufacture artificially. I don't know if you found this, but I know I have as the pandemic wears on longer and longer. Sustaining joyful hope gets harder and harder. You get excited about something and then boom, hopes are dashed, plans are made, and then boom, you get news of restrictions or case counts in your school or in your city or something that has to change in your life or something that you were really excited about doesn't actually turn out to be as awesome as you thought it might be. Joyful hope is hard to just muster up or create. So if I'm Simeon, I get up on day one after this promise from God and think, oh wow, this is amazing. Yesterday, God gave me this promise that I would see Messiah before I die. Oh, that was fantastic. Okay, so is today the day, God? And then I go through my day, and if I'm Simeon, as I lay down on my head on the pillow that night, I begin to think, okay, so today wasn't the day. Maybe tomorrow, God, right? It's gonna be tomorrow, surely. And tomorrow comes, and tomorrow goes. Still no Messiah. And then, a week turns into a month, and then months turn into years. Still no savior of the world. And if I'm Simeon, now I'm getting downright discouraged. I'm starting to doubt the promise. I'm starting to doubt God's timeline on the whole thing. And maybe you've been there, friends. I know I have. Maybe you find yourself there right now, thinking or saying, Come on, would you just hurry up, God? Let's get this whole promise thing moving in some way. I love what a super impatient follower of Jesus named Peter wrote later on in his life. He wrote this, friends, you must not forget one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years is like a day. But the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. Nope, he's being patient for your sake. And we keep coming back to this theme time and time again as we press into the waiting period that we call Advent. That God's timeline is not congruent with your timeline or my timeline. And Simeon's story just reinforces uh, this theme for us yet again. But I love what the text does tell us about Simeon. Look at me at verse 27. It says that that day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So in other words, even if he was tired of waiting, Simeon maintained some kind of vitalized listening posture when it came to his interactions with God. He didn't throw in the towel or give up because this whole Messiah thing is taking forever. No. He stayed eager in some way. He stayed open to the work and to the word of the Spirit. He knows that if he gets a hard heart, the chance is that he's gonna miss what God has promised to him. And he wants to lay his own eyes on the Savior of the world. And so he waits and he watches for God's words to come to fruition in his own life which means that he has to allow the Spirit to direct his steps day by day. 
And I don't know what else he may have had in his calendar on that particular day, but something inside of him, deep inside of him, told him, you need to be at the temple today, Simeon. And this is often how God's Spirit works in our world and in our lives, isn't it, friends? You, many of you would have your own stories to tell, a sense of or an impression that God gave you that you acted on in faithful obedience. And sometimes God just gives you a general promise, a kind of a big picture. And in Simeon's case, he had that. It was, you will not die before you see Messiah. And then God's Spirit also gave Simeon the gracious patience to wait. And God's Spirit also gave Simeon the nudge to get to a certain place on a certain day. And here's the thing, friends. If you want your life to be predictable, Christianity is the wrong religion for you and Jericho Ridge is most certainly the wrong church for you. Because throughout our 15-year history, we have experienced anything but predictability as we, as a group of people, have fought and sought to follow Jesus as faithfully as we can together. I just love how the author of Galatians puts this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, friends, the Spirit is always on the move. The Spirit is always leading and guiding and speaking and nudging and saying, follow me, keep in step with me. I'm going somewhere and I want you on this journey with me. And our job as followers of Jesus is not to run too far ahead, that's the sin of control and wanting to manipulate outcomes, or to lag too far behind. That's the sin of disobedience when God's given you something to act on. Our job as people of faith is to pay attention, to keep up, to keep in step with the Spirit, because the Spirit of God is not interested in helping you live a tame, lame, predictable, boring, suburban life. Celtic Christians, our forebearers in earlier centuries, actually had a name for the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to butcher this in Gaelic, so no letters or emails, please. They called the Holy Spirit Angart Glass, or the Wild Goose. Pastor Mark Batterson wrote a book about following God, and he picked up on that title. He actually titled the book Wild Goose Chase. And he says this, the name hints at mystery. Much like a wild goose, the Spirit of God cannot be tracked or tamed. An element of danger, an air of unpredictability surround him. And while the name may sound a little sacrilegious, I cannot think of a better description of what it's like to follow the Spirit through life. I think that the Celtic Christians were on to something because most of us will have no idea where we are going most of the time. And I know that is unsettling, but circumstantial uncertainty also goes by another name, adventure, end quote. I like to think of Simeon and Simeon's journey with the Spirit in those terms. He's an old man, but he's still attending to the voice of the Spirit who says something like Simeon, are you up 
for one more grand adventure, then if so, head to the temple today because I'm on the move. Something is afoot. And so Simeon heads down, still unsure what to pay attention to in all of the hustle and bustle. There would have been literally hundreds and hundreds of people streaming in and out of that space all day long. And yet the Spirit continues to guide Simeon. Somehow he senses what he could not know, except that it was revealed to him supernaturally by the Spirit. And that is that that child in the arms of Mary, that child is the one. That infant is Messiah, come to rescue Israel and indeed all of the world. So he takes the baby in his arms and he lets out what is now the fourth hymn in Luke's gospel. And we're not even through two chapters yet. We have Mary's Magnificat, Zacharias's Benedictus, the angelic song of glory to God in the highest sung loudly and brightly over the skies of Bethlehem. And now Simeon gets his song, what is known as the Nunc Dimittis in Latin. And the Latin name comes from the opening words of the Vulgate or Latin translation of the passage, meaning now you dismiss your servant in peace. And he utters this hymn of praise. It's a beautiful declaration of God's faithfulness and God's promise. So look with me at Luke chapter two, verses 29 to 32, where Simeon's song praising God says, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. See, Simeon is incredibly mature in his faith declaration and he highlights a few aspects of Jesus' character that are not just for him, but for us as well. There's three of them that I want to draw our attention to briefly. First of all, Simeon has a sense of contentedness in his part and his place in God's plan. He had a role to play. He was a faithful servant and he played his part and now his time is up. And because of that, he can be at peace. Commentator uh, Daryl Bach says of this passage, there is joy even in the face of death when one has seen the source of life. Simeon's job as a sentinel for the Messiah is done, and so now the Lord can take him home, end quote. So it makes me think and reflect, how about you, how about me? What part is yours to play? What part is mine to play in God's unfolding drama of redemption in the world? And when your part is completed and you come to the latter years of your life, whatever those are, Are you content that the part that you've been called to play, you have played faithfully and well? Or are you still striving for that one more strut across the stage? We're reminded that godliness with contentment is great gain. And so Simeon has played his part well, and therefore he is content, and he can now depart in peace. Secondly, Simeon has a very powerful equation 
embedded in his declaration. And that is that those who have seen this little baby have and will in his lifetime see God in human form. So to see Jesus is to see God's salvation. Or for us, looking at God's revelation of Jesus in the words and the Gospels, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know the supreme nature of God's self-revelation, look at the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus the Christ. Jesus is what God is like. And this helps not totally, but partially resolve some of the tensions and questions that sometimes we wrestle with and people have wrestled with throughout history. All of the what abouts. Well, what about violence in the Old Testament? Or what about Christian celebrity pastors who behave poorly? Or what about churches who hurt people? Or what about, what about, what about? God has revealed himself supremely, friends, not in those ways or places, but in Jesus. And so we need to think about where our focus is. Where are you looking to find God? Look no further than Jesus. Thirdly, Simeon's declaration helps us to see that God's work and God's revelation is for all people. He is a light, the text says, to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. In other words, God had promised to send a savior for the ancient Jewish people, but not for them exclusively or only. See, God's plan was always to show God's love for the whole world, to reveal God's whole heart for all of the nations and also to save all of the people who identified with God. And so any God or revelation of God that feels nationalistic or that's only interested in blessing Canada or the nation where you live or only the people you hang out with or only the denomination that you're a part of is not the God revealed in the scriptures. Because the sovereign Lord is Lord over every Lord, every nation, tribe, and tongue. The God revealed in Jesus is the king over and beyond every king and every leader of every nation that has ever been or will be or ever will be. And in some senses, the beauty of the Christmas story is that the way of salvation was in some senses not known clearly or fully before Jesus coming. But now we see in this declaration, light has broken into the darkness. God is arriving. And maybe for you, friend, that is good news today. Maybe you're feeling lost and alone and broken and empty. And if you had one word to describe not just 2020, but your life, you might use the word called dark. And today I want to tell you that Jesus came to bring light and life to all of those places, those deepest places and parts of you that feel that way. Salvation, rescue, love has come and been prepared for you. Jesus is the light of the world, revealing the things of heaven and all of its mysteries, but you now need to choose to walk into and in the light. You have a choice to make, to follow 
Jesus. And you can start that journey with a simple prayer saying, Jesus, I want to walk in the light as you are in the light. I choose to believe you are who you say you are. And friends, if you're watching on our church online platform, I'm gonna invite you to click the salvation moment that just came up, and that's gonna put you into a private prayer chat with one of our pastoral team. If you're watching on YouTube, I want you to email me. It'll be a great privilege to help you take the next step on your spiritual journey of walking in the light. And friends, Simeon has not done his declarations yet. Look with me at Luke chapter 2, verses 33 to 35. Jesus' parents, it says, were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, the baby's mother, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. See, Simeon knows that Jesus in his earthly life, as in every generation since, will bring not only peace, but also actually division. And this is because the revelation of God in Jesus brings division because it actually forces a choice. Some choose to oppose and reject. Some choose to receive and believe. And God says that God has fulfilled God's promise and sent a sign. The Virgin Mary conceived a baby and gave birth to a son who brought consolation to those who were seeking God's presence but also opposition from many others who did not believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And friends, that's why this phrase that Simeon utters is not just for Mary, it's for you and for me. The deepest thoughts of our hearts are revealed when it comes to our engagement with Jesus. Jesus is God's litmus test for response. See, if I say yes to Jesus and the light and the life that he offers to me and to you and to the world, that reveals where I stand and where you stand in relationship with God. Because ultimately the scriptures reveal that one day in the future, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess or acknowledge or recognize that Jesus is Lord. But you and I have the opportunity to do this while it is still called today. And so what you do with Jesus matters, friend, which is why for Christians, Christmas is so important. And it's also why Simeon finishes not actually with a tidy bow on top like those car commercials, but with a kind of ominous warning for Mary as a mother. Listen to commentator Daryl Bach again. Mary will feel a mother's pain as she watches her son go his own way and suffer rejection. But the sword also reflects the pain anyone who identifies with Jesus feels as the world rejects what Jesus has to offer. Friends, Jesus is here today. God is coming to you right now, wherever you're sitting, wherever you're watching, wherever you're listening. And the same invitation is being given to you and to me as was proclaimed by Simeon. What are you going to do with Jesus? 
Will you be amongst those who reject, ignore, and resist Jesus? Or will you make room in your heart to receive that infant holy, infant lowly, as a sign from God, the one who has come to be a, quote, joy to many, the one who reveals the things of God to you, the one who invites you to keep in step with the Spirit of God. God is coming to us, friends. God is coming to you. God desires to come to you in creative and in quiet ways. And so the question is, are we willing to respond and come to him? I invite you to just bow your head and close your eyes and we'll pray together. Jesus, thank you that you come and that you came. Thank you that you reveal God to us. Ready our hearts in this season to receive all that you have to offer to us in your coming. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.